if you will, look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 11 through 13. Sunday before last, we handled the life of Noah to last, last Sunday, Abraham. And today we're handling the, the call of David on his life. Samuel asked him, who's Jesse, are these all the sons you have? For there is still the youngest, he answered. But right now he's tending the sheep. And Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent, sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and healthy, handsome appearance. And then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. And then Samuel set out and went to Ramah, which is his hometown. Let's pray together. Father, help me to be a plain preacher today, so plain that a child would understand me. <clears throat> help me to be in tune to your Holy Spirit. Any word of knowledge you give to me to speak to a person or their situation, if you prompt me with it, I want to be obedient to speak to it. And Lord, you look at all of us today in this room, but you see me differently. I'm a teacher of your word. I'm your preacher. And upon me is a greater judgment than anybody here. I know that, and I understand that, and I accept my place in rightly dividing your word. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, his name that I preach. Amen. It's good to see you all. Thanks for being here today. When God speaks, he's revealing what he is about to do. He doesn't just speak for the fun of it, just to see us react. And when he gives us this revelation, it's an invitation for you, for me, for us to join him in his work. Uh, thus, we have the series we're in called Adjustments of Rearranging Our Lives, Surrendering to Him, Living in Obedience, and uh, Dependence on God. We're exactly where he wants us. Remember, he doesn't want you to grow to be independent of him. He wants you to grow to be more dependent on him is how he wants us in our lives. So if you'll read 1 Samuel 16, I'm not gonna read all of it for you, but it's the story of Samuel finding and anointing the next king who is to be David. So what are we gonna look at today? We're gonna look at David, and we're gonna look about how God revealed to Samuel and to David, and how they made the adjustment in their life to join him in the work that he was showing them. David, Israel's second and most popular king. We know him as a shepherd boy, a musician, a poet, uh, a warrior, a military leader, a politician, and an administrator. He set the standard for all future kings to follow. He's the youngest of eight sons. Uh, his father is Jesse of Bethlehem, and Bethlehem, as we know now, is referred to as the city of David. And so he's known for his courage, and he's known for incredible leadership. So we gotta get the backstory. We gotta get the backstory of how Samuel is working with the Lord here and being obedient and then moving to the revelation of David being king. Samuel's mother's name is Hannah. And Hannah did not have a son. And she asked the Lord for a son. She became pregnant and she had Samuel and before Samuel was born and she told the Lord this, if you give me a son, I'm gonna give him back to you. And literally before he was born, she did that. In the, in the picture in the life of Samuel, 
He literally grew up on the altar of the Lord. He, he, he worked under Eli, the high priest. And if you, if you need a visual image, he would have had a cot right here and slept on it every night here in the altar. He grew up under the teaching of Eli being the high priest. And so he grows up and then the Lord uses Samuel to uh, appoint and anoint the future kings. Something is going on in 1 Samuel 8 preceding where we are today in 1 Samuel 16. The people are tired of following God. They don't want to follow him. They're tired of him. And they want their own king. They go, Lord, give us a, a king like all the other nations have a king. And so the Lord comes to Samuel, is, is perplexed by this, that they don't want the Lord to be king of them any longer. And so he goes to the Lord in prayer. And uh, the Lord says to Samuel, Samuel, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. But before I give them this king that they want, I want you to warn them. I want you to warn them the kind of king they're going to have. He's going to come in and he's going to remove your sons and your daughters from your, your home. I, I can remember in the 60s, my brother's 12 years older than me. I can remember when they were drafting for the Vietnam War. I can remember the tension. You could cut it like a knife in our house because we would hear that so-and-so's number was called in the draft. And a friend of ours, you know, we would hear from our friends. And I just remember my mom, she washed the dishes a little harder than she did before, you know? I, I mean, my, seriously, I can hear her sitting stuff down a little harder than she did because she was worried that the draft was going to take, was going to be able to take uh, my brother away, which it eventually did. Uh, he's alive, but it took him away into the military. Uh, so he said, he said, this king is going to take your sons and your daughters. Your sons are going to make his weapons. They're going to form his chariots and drive his chariots. And they're basically going to be in his military. Your daughters are going to work in the confectionaries, otherwise known as do daddies. Um, and uh, your daughters are going to work in his perfume or cologne factories. Uh, they're going to cook for him and whomever. And then, then God warns them again. Not only is he going to take your sons and your daughters, he's going to uh, take your livestock and do whatever he wants to with it. He's going to take your crops, do whatever he wants to with it. And they heard all that. They heard the warning of God saying, you want a king like all the other nations. I want to warn you about the king you're going to have. There's a lesson here for us. And uh, uh, some of you may see God as a punishing God, a disciplining God, and he does discipline those that he loves, uh, only to bring us to where we need to be. But he is a God who warns us, just like he did these people in 1 Samuel 8. Uh, my favorite professor, one of them in seminary, was Gerald Borchardt. He's brilliant. And he said this about scripture. He said, you're gonna find one or two things, both of these things in scripture. There, God gives us great assurance and God gives us great warning. He said, scripture is filled with assurance and warning. And so we see this happening here with the people in 1 Samuel 8. God's warning them about who they're going to have. And what do these people do? They go, we don't care. We want him anyway. And so God gave them Saul. Saul was the king. Saul in his kingship, in his leading, 
just repeatedly disobeyed God. Repeatedly disobeyed him to the point where we are in 1 Samuel 16 that God is saying, I am rejecting Saul as king. And so God is revealing that he is about to give them a new king. So his revelation is to Samuel and to David that I'm going to give you a new king. I'm going to give it to you. And we see how the adjustment takes place for David to be able to follow that. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house. And, and, and people are afraid of Saul. Because if you crossed him wrongly, he'd come after you. And so God gave Samuel a way to go to Jesse's house, which is David's dad. And I want you to go and, and I want you to take livestock and we're going to have a sacrifice. And that way, it is a way for you to go in there and let me use you to anoint the next king. So he goes to Jesse's house just as the Lord instructs. And we know, we know now that David becomes king and we'll get into that process in a moment. But we also know that David had great success. We also know that David had great failures. We know that a lot of his family was dysfunctional. We know that a lot of things did not go the way they needed to go. But early on, God had set this with David. Uh, I want you to look at 1 Samuel 13. Remember, we're in chapter 16. So we're in verse 13 and we're at verse 14. And I, I want you to know it says there that he found a man loyal to him. Many of you all have heard that David is a man after God's own heart. And this is where we get it. And that's what that line, uh, that he is a man that is loyal to him. Now, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him, meaning his heart is there. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord had commanded to do. The Lord made a decision there of what he was going to do, but he didn't reveal it to Samuel and David until later. God knew what he was going to do. But he reveals it to Samuel and to David a little bit later. So I want to give you some lessons, four of them. I, I don't trust technology very much. I send all this to Logan, and I, I sent it to him yesterday. And I, I thought I, you know, I thought well, I, I sent it pretty early, and, and it's out there floating around in cyberspace somewhere. Uh, so it didn't make it. And, uh, but I was going to have these on the screen for you, but obviously I'm not able to. So you may want to jot these down and give you four things that we're going to listen or, or, or learn from today, the lessons. Number one, God can and sometimes chooses the one who is left out or seemingly last. God doesn't always pick who you and I pick. A lot of times we pick the most charismatic or uh, people who can handle a crowd or that kind of thing. Uh, God doesn't always choose who you and I would choose. Um, he sometimes picks the ones who are left out or seemingly last. Uh, early on, when Samuel comes to Jesse's house, he's looking at all of David's brothers in the scripture, it has that, uh, it mentions some of them by name, uh, kind of like they're, like the price is right or something, you know, where you, your name is called out and here you are. They're, they're named early. Not all of them are, but there's an example of some of the brothers being named. But I want you to know they don't, they don't name David until the part of his anointing because he's the youngest. Um, when, when he asked 
Are there any more sons? Uh, he, they said, well, there's, there's, there's one, there's the youngest one, he's tending the sheep. But they're saying that in the point like that doesn't matter. Why would you have me mention him? He's the youngest and he's tending the sheep. Uh, he has work to do. So David is referred to before his name is ever used as the youngest and he is out there and we can call him. It's never, it's, it's never, uh, it, it's, it's never a point of calling him by, by name. I remember one time we were eating with the cans and uh, Kenzie, Mackenzie was real little, Mackenzie can. And so somebody said, Mackenzie, who do you want to pray and she looked at my son Andrew and she said that <clears throat> so uh, Andrew's name wasn't even used David's name's not even used here um, he's not mentioned until the very end he's he's considered last because we go through all the sons that they think have the potential to be king and so Samuel goes is there anybody else are there are there any sons that you any other sons that you have? And, he, and then he tells, yes, I have one who's tending the sheep. Yet today, today, David may have been last here, but you need to know that today he is revered as one of the greatest kings of Israel. Uh, when I would lead tours there, uh, we would, those who wanted to go, we'd take him to the tomb of David. And it's, it's big, it's huge, and it's draped with a beautiful drapery. It's, it's, it's royalty, it's just, it's all decorated with royalty. There are insignias everywhere and messages in, in Hebrew that are there. Uh, people still stand in line to visit his tomb. There was a guy there, he and I got to chat and he found out I was a pastor. I was talking about the Lord and he was arguing how King David is much better than the Lord. And I was going, no. I said, King David uh, is in the lineage. Jesus is in the lineage of King David in the house of Jesse, but he's not greater. But in their eyes, some of them still revere him even today. So the first lesson, God can and sometimes choose the ones who are left out. And or those who are seemingly last in life. Second thing I want you to learn is God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance of man. Now our culture will teach you differently and don't you tell me it doesn't. You and I judge people according to the way they look. You know we do that. So let's, let's just go ahead and accept it. Uh, and we, we, we just do. Uh, but our culture defines that for us over and over and over and over again. That it's the outward appearance that matters. And that may be what the culture is doing, but that's not what God does. God always looks at the heart of man and he teaches this to Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance because one of the brothers that was before him, one of David's brothers, his appearance made him look kingly. And so they were like, hmm, this might be the one. And so the Lord interrupts here. says, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. 
Later, Samuel goes on to teach David things. And there was one of David's failures in his life, and he comes back in repentance in Psalm 51, which is a psalm of repentance of David, confession and repentance. And he says, Lord created me a clean heart. Well, you, you, if you understand what Samuel was taught by the Lord, and then Samuel taught that to David, you understand why David prayed that prayer. Lord created me a clean heart, because he had learned that the only thing that God sees is our hearts. Look at 2 Chronicles 16, 9. This is a life verse for me. It's about King Asa, and the latter part is basically warning King Asa, if you continue living this way, you will always be at war. But let's look at the top part. For the eyes of the Lord, Yahweh, roam throughout the earth to show himself strong. For those whose what? Outward appearance look good to him? No. Those whose hearts are completely his. What does he look for? He looks at our heart. Um, be, before David was named at the end of his anointing, before he was named, it describes his appearance in verse 12. Now remember, in verse seven, the Lord had already told Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance, look on the heart. And if you, if you go to verse 12, if you will, as he, goes, as, he, as, he, as he says this to him, David comes out and he had beautiful eyes, a healthy, handsome appearance. And the, the writing there gives hint that he, was, he had reddish hair and I know it doesn't say that there, but it, it does in the original language. He's kind of reddish and he's kind of bronze in his skin color. Uh, you know, a suntan model, you know, maybe, whatever. Uh, but but he, he looks good. And I, I want you to notice here, Samuel pays no attention to that. Because just a few verses before, with one of David's brothers, the Lord told him, don't look on the outward appearance of a man. Even though it's, he's described here to look this way, you'll notice Samuel not paying any attention to that at all. Why? Because he had learned that God looks, God looks upon the heart. So the third lesson is that God appoints, anoints, and empowers people. Um, Verses 12 and 13. I just read to you 12. Let me read to you verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. And then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. And Ramah is his hometown. That's where he's from. So third thing is that God appoints and anoints and empowers his people. Listen, God, God chose David. And he still chooses people today. That's his sovereignty. He can choose anybody he wants. And he can re reveal what he's going to do with anybody that he wants. I mean, let's get to the, we just had the birth of Jesus in Christmas. And, and here's this great announcement of heaven, of our Savior coming, the Lord. And who does he reveal it to? Shepherds. <laughs> You know, you and I would go, man, let's rent the ballroom, you know, at Capitol Plaza, or let's get, you know, let's make this a big deal. Uh, you know, let's, let's just announce it to the world. But who did he choose to tell it? He chose to, to tell it to some lowly shepherds spending the night out in the broom sage, you know. Um, he chooses today 
that's his sovereignty. He chooses whomever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and he does it. That's just who God is, and he does it for very specific reasons. Um, in verse 13, we find that Samuel begins the anointing process. He took the horn of oil. And this process is a setting apart process. It is a, there, is a, there is a cleansing that is going on. There is an anointing that's going on, a setting apart for something that is to happen. Let me remind you that David and Jesse and his brothers don't all know what's going on here. Samuel does. They don't all know exactly what's going on. That'll, that revelation comes to completion even a little bit later on. They just know that God is revealing to Samuel and then to David, and then he's looking for the surrender and the obedience to come from that. But if we look at verse 13, if you'll put that up on the screen, there's something today that I think is at the crux of the whole sermon that I want you to see, especially with adjustments. If you're going to follow God, you have to make adjustments. There's a rearranging of your life. And I think in verse 13 is really getting to the crux of the matter for uh, what's happening here, God revealing here, God inviting them to join him, and also even in our lives. Do you see in the middle it says, and the spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. Do you know that's my prayer for you? I don't want us to be a busy church with this all kinds of activities running you ragging. I mean, let's be honest. Can we be honest? You're talking to a preacher's kid here, okay? And uh, we, we'll, we'll run to church activities and we're, we're fussing. You know, we're fussing on the road to get there. And then we just show up so faithful, don't we? With faithful smiles on our faces. And, We've been fussing the whole time getting there. I, listen, I, I don't want to add to your rush and your hurry and your scurry. I hope and pray you will remember me as your pastor for that. I don't want to add to your rushing. I, I don't want to add to any dysfunction. But my prayer for you is that the Spirit of the Lord would take control and move you from this day forward. I've got to teach you how to walk with Christ when nobody else is around. When you as a mom are weary, you're tired. You've taken care of work and family and all that and you're tired. And just expectations are hard to be met. How, how, do, you, how do you let the Spirit of God empower you during those times? Some of us, and I'm leaving out the dads. I know there's some good dads out there, but we can put a load on, on our wife the mother of our kids a little bit tough sometimes. And, and you're in seasons of your life you didn't ask for and you're weary and you're tired physically and emotionally and mentally. I, I wanna teach you how do you walk with the Lord there? That's why I pray when I pray. The power that raised him from the dead is the power that saves us, sustains us, and gives you the energy to take another step. We live in that. We have the availability to be able to live in that. So I, I think the, the part of the sermon we need to get to, put verse 13 back up there, if you will, is that the, here, here's where it all happens. Here's where the adjustment in line with our series takes place, is the, the Spirit of the Lord took control, and he's, he's, not, he's not called David until we get to this point. 
He's just called the youngest and he and him. He took control of David from that day forward. Here is a setting apart that happens. Does the Lord still anoint and appoint and empower? Of course that he does. And here's the adjustment. I want you to see it. God's revealing what he's about to do to Samuel and David. And you see Samuel making the adjustments to do it. And you see David right here beginning to make the adjustment of what is to come. I want the Holy Spirit to take control of your life. As, as a pastor, that's what I, young and old, to take control of your life. That's our leading here. Fourth lesson, last lesson. God is patient with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is patient with us. I preached the funeral of a dear, dear friend Monday back in Campbellsville. And in the audience, uh, I knew everybody there. Um, and uh, there's a couple that I hadn't seen for a long time, David and Betty Hayes. And David and Betty have known me since I was a little boy. And so I went back there uh, to see them. And I said, I just want to remind you that the mean little kid can grow up to try to be a good person. Uh, I said, I just want you to know that. Listen, God is patient with us. Please understand this. Look at Romans 2, 4. And this has to do with his judgment. God is patient with his judgment. But it's, I just want to give you a picture of our God for a moment. Uh, or do you despise the riches of his kindness? He's kind. His restraint, he holds off. That's his mercy. And patience. Aren't, aren't you recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And remember, repentance is I'm walking away from God, and then I adjust my life in, in line with our series, and I start walking to God. And he's patient. God is patient with that. The fruit of the Spirit, one of the listings there is patience. Would he not list that as a fruit of the Spirit and it, it not recognize him as part of God's character too? That he is patient. You and I need to give thanks that he is patient with us. Uh, so it, this didn't happen immediately. David didn't become king right there. Uh, he, he did in the, in the plan of God. But to become physical king happened many years later. His next step was to become the musician in Saul's court. When Saul had an evil spirit on him or a bad spirit or he's in a bad mood, you know, they brought David in to play as a musician to calm him down. Later on, we know that he fights Goliath. It's, it's years before he becomes the actual king. God just revealed it to him at this time through Samuel and David, but later to happen. Uh, walk away with this today, please. God can and sometimes chooses all of us who are last, even seemingly left out. God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance of man. He looks at the heart. God appoints and anoints and empowers us. And God is patient. And you and I should be thankful today and even say thanks for the patience that he has in our lives. If, if we're not careful, you and I will want him to zap people. You know, just zap them, Lord. 
I'm already cast judgment on them. Just zap them. Well, he could have done that with us, you know, and he's kind and he has restraint and he's patient. I don't know about you, but I, for one, am thankful. There are times when I describe some of you all in our church or I meet somebody else. I said, I'm glad I met you on this side of Jesus and not the other side of Jesus, right? Because uh, we all have another side of Jesus and he's patient with us. Listen, he reveals things to us. He may not reveal to you to build an ark or to be the father of our faith like Abraham or to be the king of Israel like he did David. But he may reveal to you to go fix a meal for somebody or go put a ramp on somebody's house or give them $100. I remember one time we had a friend of ours, Julie and I, we didn't have $100. We didn't have it. We did not have it. A friend of ours came. He was going to go play baseball in the Philippines. He played for UK. And he came and asked us for a donation. And I just like, well, you know, I said, well, we'll give you $100. Well, we didn't have $100. We didn't have it. And so I was preaching in a little church on the, near the Medcalf County line, Green and Medcalf County line. In fact, I was pastoring the boy that I, who died. I mentioned today, John Slinker. He was a little boy then. Great family, great kid. And uh, I was his pastor then. And so I had told our friend, we're going to give him $100. Well, I didn't have it. And I, I went off and prayed. I said, Lord, if you see fit to give me 100 bucks, I'll make sure that I, I put it in Alan's hands to go to the Philippines. Well, that morning when the service was over, there's a little lady in our church named Miss Wallace. And Miss Wallace had those cat eye glasses with the chain. Y'all like, like a librarian, you know? And Miss Wallace was a quiet lady, but a faithful lady. After the service, she came up to me and she said, I just want you to know that I was praying for you this morning. I said, thank you, Miss Wallace. And she said, the Lord said that you're to have this. Do you know what she handed me? You go ahead and tell me what she handed me. A hundred dollar bill. Now I looked at it and go, mm. You know, but I remembered what I asked the Lord. If you give it to me, I'll give it to Alan. And I did, I gave it to, I did, I, I made a promise that I couldn't fulfill and I took it to the Lord and asked him to rescue it. God may reveal, give somebody a hundred bucks. If he reveals that to you, then he gave it to you for a reason. Follow it. It, it, it may be you need to call somebody. God did that on my way here today. He revealed to me two people that I needed to call. I argued back and forth, I don't have time. I've got my sermon on my mind. I've got the order of service where Logan and I work on that together. I've got that on my mind. I've got people I've got to see between services. I've got that on my mind. I've got to make sure that I get the housekeeping right or Amy's gonna be mad at me. <laughs> and the Lord said, I want you to call him. He may not reveal to you to build an ark like Noah or to be the father of our faith like Abraham or to be Israel's second king. But he will reveal to you what he wants you to do. And you gotta make the adjustments. You gotta make the surrender for that. And we make those adjustments and we make that surrender. And it, the kingdom becomes beautiful when we do that. I want the Holy Spirit to take control of you. Actually, the Greek is the Holy Spirit rushed in. 
rushed in, or the Hebrew, the Holy Spirit rushed in there, and he took control of David. That becomes my prayer for you. Let me pray over you today. Father, I pray over our people today. Our, our, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit take control today of us, the adjustments, the rearranging in our lives, and that you move us from this day forward. And we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We know he's not out to hurt us, but he is out to use us and to call us to further the gospel and to present the kingdom of God. Use us today, Lord. We're in the voice of Isaiah. Lord, here we are. Send us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Church, if you stand, if you will, counselors, would you come and find your place? The invitation is this. Whosoever will, for whatever reason today, you come.